It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. And of course, as usual, if this is your first time listening or you've just recently started listening to us, thanks so much for putting us on. You can now send us voice notes on Instagram because we're there. Um, but also you can send us old school messages by email, thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com to let us know what you think about this episode or about anything that you'd like us to cover. We love hearing from you. And just to let you know that our book club episode is coming at you this Sunday. We are discussing So Late in the Day by Claire Keegan. And you could send us a voice note on Instagram about that if you like. So do keep in touch. But today we are going to be talking about I suppose, invisible women, or at least that sense that some women in their 40s and 50s and older maybe get of being something other than what they used to be and about how we deal with that. Go out today and smile at someone. You know, just smile at one person, compliment one person. Turn up in life as the person you want to be because it's a great opportunity. I've now turned into a ridiculously optimistic, smiley person. And the more I smile at people and say, hey, it's great to meet you or you look great. Wow, the world comes back in this, you know, it's amazing. (laughs) That was the voice of Lucy Cavendish there. She is our guest today. She lives in Oxfordshire in England. She's a mother of four. Uh, She lives with some of her children and a variety of animals. And she's a writer and a therapist. She's also host of the Later Dater podcast, where she explores dating, sex and relationships. But we came across her when we read an article of hers in The Guardian in which she wrote about how women as they age can go into the shadows and how we deal with it. She wrote about being on holiday on her own, sitting on a beach with her sun hat and book in hand and watching other families and realising she felt that she no longer fitted in. And she also imagined them looking at her if they were thinking anything at all and looking at her as if she was some kind of remaindered woman, husbandless, childless, sitting reading like a washed up former heroine of a novel. It was a moment, she says, and she's had many of those moments since turning 50. Now that her identity as a working mother of four young children had gone, she sometimes felt lesser or, like I said, like she was in the shadows. You know, who was she? And then she started talking to other women in their 50s who were also feeling this way and thinking as a therapist about what adjustments needed to be made and whether it was possible to make peace with this emergent self without seeing ourselves as lesser or irrelevant. So there was so much in it and it was a brilliant article and I thought she'd be a really good person to get on the podcast to talk about this and it turns out she is brilliant. I think you're really going to enjoy this chat which also contains a little cameo from my mother Anne Ingle but I began by asking writer Lucy Cavendish to tell me about how life changed for her since turning 50 six years ago. Well life has changed quite dramatically Part of that is because my personal circumstances 
changed in a way that was unexpected. So that's stuff that's for me personally. I got divorced. Um, I needed to sell my home I'd lived in for 23 years and given birth to my children in, partially because of my own uh, fault. I sort of put my money in the wrong place, but that's a different story. And all sorts of stuff happened. So, you know, and then I was menopausal. And so actually, I think I went from being one sort of a person so happy-go-lucky, very cheerful, um, pretty resilient. Um, and I will talk, if you want to do that, talk a little bit about maybe being over-resilient at times um, and really being able to cope and manage to someone who I started feeling my energy levels dropping. I started waking up with anxiety. Um, I started getting quite panicky. I found it very hard to see the wood for the trees. And one day I thought, what on earth is going on here? Um, now, a lot of people have talked to me about menopause. I want to keep that slightly to one side because obviously I'm aware of all that. Uh, and, and now we have a, such a big dialogue about menopause that I am aware of that and HRT and everything else. This, I feel, is something above and beyond that. It's a different thing. That's how I feel. So for the people who are saying, it's the menopause, I, I know. <laughs> I'm on it and I get it. <laughs> They're definitely saying that, Lucy. So I'm glad you cleared that up because I agree with you. I think it's another it's another conversation that you were kind of pointing to in your article. So tell us more about that. What What is above and beyond that, the menopause thing? I think there's potentially, and not for everybody, of course, I'm not speaking for everybody. The reason I want to talk about this is because I just think it's, I'm a psychotherapist, right? So I think it's really important that we air stuff and we talk about stuff. Because I think what happens is a lot of women, and again, I'm talking about women because I'm not a man, so that's up for men to come and tell tell people what they feel. And also because you're on the women's podcast, Lucy. And you're I'm on the women's podcast, women. <laughs> I'm talking about women. Um, I think, so for me, there was a feeling of where am I in my life? You know, I'm now divorced, and this can happen for women that aren't divorced, because a lot of people in marriages also feel this. They feel lonely. They feel a bit remaindered. They're not really sure where they're heading in life. Life in front looks, um, I mean, this is a bit depressing, but it's true. You know, we are facing loss. My sister died a year and a half ago, very, very unexpectedly. And it's really brought up in me, people around me that I love, you know, will leave. My mother's still alive. She's 90. You know, there's all this ahead of you. So you start, you know, you're getting further towards, you know, the grave than you are towards birth you know I think at some point you're moving away from birth and now I'm very aware it's going one direction and it really came home to me because I've had a pretty full life and I've got four kids and I was sitting on a beach and there was a family probably in their 30s maybe late 20s with playing with their kids and I was sort of I think they just thought I was a nutter you know I was like oh look at your beautiful children <laughs> and I was trying to make sandcastles and they looked at me like I was some kind of strange, weird, old, sad, spinstery maiden aunt person that should be avoided at all costs. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to say, I've had a life and I'm still having a life. But they weren't interested and that's fine. They were busy. They had their kids. But it really shocked me because I thought I don't see myself clearly. I don't see myself clearly. I am no longer 28. You know, I'm 56. 
what am I doing with my life and where am I going? And I suddenly felt this sense of profound existential loneliness, almost like what is the point of me? This sounds terrible because actually, you know, most of the time I'm bum- I'm happy in life, but it was a moment. And when I shared that with women of my own age, a lot of them said, oh, that's how I feel. And a lot of women have reached out to me post the article saying, you have named stuff for me that that is how I feel. I've printed it out. I've put it on my wall. And it's really important we talk about this stuff. It's okay Mm. to say I don't feel so good about life right now. I feel lost. Mm. I feel lonely. I can't see a viable future. Because we are going to get more hopeful and talk about things that you can do if you're experiencing that existential dread. But to stay with the existential bit for for a while, when you did talk to other women... And because you quote some of them in the article, what were people saying about this sort of, I suppose you could say, you could use words like irrelevancy, invisibility, not fitting in. There's a few ways of describing it. What were you hearing? What I was really hearing from a lot of women was that they had felt defined by the stuff that they'd done in their careers, in their lives, and also around the people that they'd looked after, whether that's children parents, siblings, people in their community, um, that that had felt part of their identity. And then at some point that identity changes and there was a real sense of, well, who am I now? And who am I going to be? And how am I going to adjust to this new part of my life? And for a lot of people, there's a real... um, sense of unfairness and sort of injustice like why do I have to do this you know why and they and a lot of women talked about I used to be like that so there's this element of I now it's it's what I offer is you kind of need to get to know yourself in a new way you're going to get to know yourself as a person you might never have known yourself to be because we can't go backwards we can't go as much as we might like to we can't we can only go forwards And so people say things like, well, this just isn't me and I don't feel these way and I don't know who I am. And my offering to that was, well, this is you. It's part of you. Of course it is, because that's why it's present. And now we have to move forwards and embrace that. But that's the forwards looking bit. You were asking me how they felt. Um, And that is how they felt. They felt a bit redundant and a bit remaindered and a bit lost. And Mm. as Susie Orbach says in the piece, who's a psychotherapist, that women are so used to giving. You know, we give and give and give. And what we then get to is that we find it difficult to take in because we're so used to giving that we almost put up a wall, which is, no, I can't take in anything because I want, because I have to give. So it's sort of softening that thing. Okay, well, what can I take in? So it's interesting because... um we get listened to by people of different ages, women of different ages, I, I hope anyway, from, you know, women in their 20s up to in their 80s and 90s. Um, and actually what you're talking about is, um, as well as helping the people who are maybe going through that existential crisis that you're talking about, we also should be talking to younger women about the importance of not getting to a point where you've just give and give and give, that you make sure all along that your life that you are also looking after yourself at the same time. So that's a practice that you're used to, not suddenly getting into your 50s and going, wow, I've spent all this time kind of giving to other people and now I don't know what to do and where I fit in about giving to myself. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that is changing. 
I think women I meet in their 20s, and again, this is a broad brushstroke, they've sort of had a different relationship with life because I think people's emotional language has progressed massively. So all the stuff that maybe we wouldn't have talked about when I was a kid and when I was in my 20s now is completely, you know, the language of the day. I think uh, women have got much better at being more what I would call selfish. And I encourage women to be more selfish. I don't mean, you know, I mean, what's wrong with saying my life's about me? One time someone said to me, why is everything in your life got to be around you? I was like, <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that's actually why, you know, that's a good thing. Um, so it's actually tapping into what is it that you need? And I think women in their 20s are, are much better at that. But I do think there's a bit of a game changer potentially when women have children and not not all women will have children um also maybe compromises that people need to make in their careers and also when we get into the realm of looking after our parents hmm. i think that also so i think as we grow older stuff happens that means we start those boundaries become a little bit more porous. So I talk a lot to people about boundaries. I literally, when someone said to me years and years and years ago, what are your boundaries? I was like, they were talking a foreign language. I had no idea what they were talking about. I was like, oh, okay, well, what are they? So I do talk a lot about boundaries with women, about where are your boundaries? You know, saying yes, saying no. How do you feel about all that? And then, of course, the big thing is our relationship with our bodies, and loving our bodies and letting our bodies age appropriately and being and being really good with that. But that's a slightly different conversation, but that's a big part of it. So, Lucy, as well as the people maybe you've spoken to who were feeling lost or, or all the different words that we've used for that and this invisibility, I also would like to talk about women who don't actually perhaps mind that this the world is kind of looking at them in a different way, that they're kind of enjoying the lack of, say, the male gaze and not having to worry about that, that they can, you know, there's that poem by Wear My Purple Hat, I can't remember the name of it, but, um, you know, and, and there is this also that that we need to um, express too, that there's, this, there's a freedom in getting older and not having to constrain ourselves to sort of, you know, expectations that we might have been worried about as younger women. I, absolutely. I, I just want to pick up on that a little bit, being a therapist, you know, the feeling invisible isn't necessarily around the male gaze. For a lot of women, it's a delight, you know, <laughs> hallelujah, thank goodness for that. For some people, it isn't. I mean, I have had clients who say to me, no one whistles at me anymore. For me, I'm like, hallelujah, you know, great. For them, actually, they don't like that, you know, that they feel very invisible to men. What I'm actually saying in the article is that what happens sometimes is we start feeling invisible to ourselves that's the bit that says, I used to be this sort of a person, what's happened to me. You know, it's like we it's like we have to take the cloak off, the invisibility Harry Potter cloak off and go, well, this is me now. And in that is exactly what you said, which is this complete enjoyment of I am X age and I'm having a fabulous time because I can walk through the world wearing my purple hat and I can dance through the streets if that's what I so choose to do because I've earned the right to just go and be me. And I don't really care if I'm embarrassing anybody because this is the joy of living a full and happy life, which is working out that what other people think of us is none of our business, really, and that we mm. need to go forwards and live this full and happy life. But when I offer this quite often... What people say to me is, I can't access this. You know, this is words. 
you know, they're inspiring words, hopefully, but I can't access this full, happy, joyous life that you're offering me because I feel so low and depleted. So there's a schism there between mm. what is possible for some people and seems to be not possible for other women. One of the women you spoke to, she talked about her being scratchy and irritable with pretty much everyone. And again, we could say, oh, that's, and someone will be screaming menopause. But at the same time, also, it could be just, it's also a symptom of being older and having less tolerance, maybe, for for things that you once tolerated. So tell me about that, because I have a friend who is exactly like that, who felt like she wasn't herself, like that's, that some other person had taken over. But it's kind of about seeing yourself maybe in a new way or how you've evolved and the person that you're growing into. Like we change as people, don't we? Yes, we do. I mean, in our cellular level, I think we change every seven years or something. So you're not yourself. <laughs> you are someone else. Yeah, so like I said, the menopause... The reason why I didn't go into the menopause in this article, just to clarify, is because a lot had been published around the menopause and what was asked was something slightly different. So that's why it's not in there. It's not because, you know, I'm not interested in that. It's because it wasn't needed for this article. Uh, the scratch, I, so I think part of it is that if you feel you have spent many, 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 many years holding your tongue <laughs> and, you know, a bit like me, and be very lovely to everybody, there comes a point when you just about had it. <laughs> and you realise that underneath there, there's a person who, you know, who's a bit angry and a bit cross and, and they're sort of fed up with people leaving their towels on the floor. And it's like, you know, just do it. And you suddenly realise that actually you're not quite as tolerant as you thought you were. But there's no, I mean, great, you know, if, you, if you're lacking intolerance and you're feeling scratchy, I think it's possible to embrace that. I think I've spent years slightly in my sort of false version of myself, who's a, who's a kind of smiling sweetheart. And actually, I don't feel that way now. And it's perfectly fine to express that. Sort of with the caveat that, you know, I think if you're like that all the time, it probably ends up feeling a bit uh, depressing because you think, God, I just see everything through this lens of not being very happy. So then we have to grow the capacity to change that, which is, yeah. as, as Richard E. Grant says on his podcast, you know, a pocket full of happiness every day. Love that. And you also noticed how women start to look at their friendship groups differently, like they feel like they no, no longer belong in those. Tell me a bit about that. Well, again, I think, um, I use the analogy, if you look back at your birthday parties and you thought, let's say from when you were 20 or 30 and thought, who would be at them? Who did I invite? Who would I invite now? You'll see that there's a progression in your friendship groups. The people you were friends with in 20, you know, maybe one of them still there at your 50th and at, the, and at your 60th. And I think because what we need from each other changes. So I think there's some, fr I have like two friends that I've known since I was 10. And we've just survived a whole lot of stuff together. And I love them and I nurture that friendship. But there are other friends I had who I loved and adored and they're not really my friends. Or they moved away or we kind of changed or we do life differently. And that's fine. There's, and also there's the phases, isn't there? There's the party friends and there's the career friends and maybe there's the school gate friends. And then, you know, so it changes. But I do think women are really good at friendships. And I do think friendships are important. And I think it's sort of accepting the fact maybe, you know, letting go. Part of growing up is, is, is having the capacity to let go of people. You know, this friendship isn't really working for me anymore. So I'll distance myself a little bit, but I will go and find, you know, I'll, I'll go meet some new people or maybe I'll just have five friends. Um, and I think that is something that we need to think about and accept. We're not going to be friends with everybody forever. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Before we get on to dealing with this, let's call it an existential crisis, my mother, Anne Ingle, has been sitting quietly listening to all of this. She's 84 and I think it's good to bring different um, age perspectives yes. into this. And we're we're in our 50s, uh, some yes. of our listeners will be younger and older. But Anne Ingle, what have you thought listening to Lucy? I, I just, I can't, I'm going to preempt this by saying I don't think my mother has ever felt invisible or irrelevant. She's not that kind of <laughs> person. But then There's again, I could be Anne. wrong. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about the 50s. My, in my 50s, uh, I think on my 50th birthday, I was on a holiday in a Mykonos with a strange man. Wow. And, the, God, I your and, life, then, and then I came back and I got rid of him and I applied <laughs> to go to university and I went into Trinity College for four years working away and getting a degree, which I did, and then I got a, a, a very good job. So the whole of my 50s uh, were, were a very successful time, a very exciting time, um, hard work, because I also had to work at home while I was doing the degree, you know, um, but I, I she really, had eight children, Lucy. Yeah, I'd had the eight children. Oh they my were all, <laughs> but they were all reared and and looking after themselves more or less, you know. Except the youngest one was twenty one, and then I sold my house. So I kind of just um, I went on living and doing exactly what I wanted to do, more or less. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, when you get to your late seventies, early eighties. That's when you really become invisible, believe you me. I mean, yeah, who no, am I? I understand that, yeah. I yes, really get you that. can understand that. But, I do. Uh, for me, I didn't have that experience in my 50s. So I'm sorry that people feel that way. But for me, I went out there and grabbed life. I'd been stuck at home all those years and doing a wonderful job. My Being a mother was the most wonderful thing in the world to me, my children. But then it was my time and I just went for it big time, you know, in my 50s. So I can't really relate to what you're saying, but I'm listening and I understand. I suppose it's interesting because my mum would have been a very young mother, first of all. That's true, Rosie. You know, you were very young just starting your children. And so you were sort of tied, not that you resented it, but you were tied to the home and that. And then my dad died when when I was quite young. So you were were basically a single mother because he wasn't well as well before he died. So she was doing that all on her own well so I think for you for it's what you're describing there is this it's almost this freedom unfurling for you in your 50s where you could finally do what Lucy was talking about earlier sort of what do I want who am I in the world what where am I going to go forward from here it was a sense of adventure almost for you absolutely and I enjoyed every bit of it you know 
and I look back and I do emphasize with very much as a, an old woman with losing your friends to death yes it's really hard you know that gets that's a really hard thing you know facing up to that and being on your own but like you were saying about friends like yesterday I made a point of ringing two of my friends to check up on how we were feeling what bits of us had fallen off you know during the night that kind of thing because I think it's important to keep those women around you that you, you've who've supported you all your life and and keep friends and do that that's very important for me yeah Lucy um so there is there's different experiences isn't there for, for well, women I mean, in that 50s. is completely inspiring you know oh, that, no, that really is that really is the message behind that is Actually, you know, it's never too old to go and do something you really want to do. And it is perfectly fine to say, this is my time. And what this looks like is I'm going to go to Mykonos. I'm going <laughs> to snog a strange man. I'm going to go to university. I'm going to work really hard. I've brought up eight kids. I mean, that's great. That's amazing. That is really inspiring. Okay, So mm. it takes... You know, I'd be interested in what that... I think it takes um, a real sense of inner resilience and purpose... Um, and a, a kind of, you know, can-do-it attitude. So lots of people mm. say, women say things like, well, I can't afford to do this or I can't do that. What you're saying is, well, listen, you can. You know, you want, you it doesn't cost and, anything. And also to I think it's very important to be optimistic. You know, yeah, to, I agree with to, you. I agree yeah. with you. Although, Optimism is a big thing in my life. Yeah, I mean, there's been lots of research which actually shows that pessimists have a more realistic view of life than optimists. I'm on the optimistic side. I'm with you on that. I'm kind of like, yes, the world's wonderful. Let's all go, you know. We'll all jump off the cliff and it'll be fun. Yeah, so I think that being able to tap into an innate sense of optimism and fun is really important. But lots, lots of people aren't born optimists, actually. They tend to be on the pessimistic side. So it's trying to find the skill and capacity to grow optimism. You know, or one thing, what is the one thing, one thing I want to do? What is the one thing that would um, potentially make me feel a little bit more valid? And it might be something like I'm going to join the local community choir. There's been a lot of research about doing things in a group. Mm -hmm. And then you take the action. Everything has to start with an action. Well, let's go back to sort of maybe if people are relating to what you're saying and they're, and they're feeling a bit not themselves and who are they? How do we start to kind of interrogate that and, who you know, to look at how do you help people to explore? Or, well, who am I now then? This sort of slightly more narky, maybe <laughs> intolerant person or what's the good and the bad and where do I want to go? Is there a kind of a, a technique or a way we can really just sit with ourselves a bit more and take a bit of time to to look at that and see where we're going to go from here? Well, I think we have to develop a sense of curiosity, a sense of inner curiosity in ourselves. You know, who am I now? What do I like? What don't I like? It's, it's actually taking a, a, a joyously forensic look at ourselves. What do I like doing? What might I need to change? And, and a lot of this, I think, um, becomes intentional. You know, so actually, where do I want to go with this? How do I want to be walking through the world? Uh, where am I heading? So, for example, the other day, because I'm obsessed with Greece, I thought, actually, what I really want to do is study classics. I only want to study Greek classics. I don't want to study any other classics. But, you know, that's possible. I could sign up to a course online. I could decide to start going to to a university. It's having that forensic curiosity. What is it I want to do and what's my next step? So that we start expanding out of ourselves because we can get very tunnel visioned 
So we're expanding out of ourselves into different um, places and trying stuff out and taking a deep breath and having a little bit of confidence. I mean, if you've got to this age, you know, you're doing well. You know, you mm. and knowing where you've done really well in life. You know, I've been a great friend. I've been a good partner or, or whatever. You know, I've da, da, da. So you start being able to tell yourself a really good story about yourself, which is true. You know, I'm a good daughter. I've got a great mom. I can love, you know, you, you know you've got this mother here who's, who's amazing. I'm really inspirational. Might be annoying at times. I don't know. But it's like, well. Oh, she's never annoying. No, so, okay, lucky you've got this beautiful. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I know. But, you know, it's like sometimes it might be annoying. Sometimes when you have a pioneering mother, I'm not saying this is you, Rasheen, at all, okay, it can be slightly annoying because it's like whatever you do is never going to be, you're never going to burn as brightly as your mother, okay, which is, well, oh, no, my mother's this amazing individual and I'm just this lowly person. So we have to kind of get out of the the stories that we tell ourselves, the narratives we tell ourselves that's that's not helpful. And, you know, there's a big world out there. Uh, the podcast I do, which is Later Data, is about looking at things with a different lens. How do people live their lives in a different way? That's actually, you know, outside our realm of experience, but it's very useful to think about and helpful. Do you think people get stuck then? I mean, I think there's probably some people listening who maybe don't relate. And I just certainly have friends who I don't see in their 50s who have kind of come up against this, but other people do. So it's it's not good enough to say, well, I don't feel like that. I don't really know what that's going on. Why do you think some women meet this kind of uh, barrier or this hurdle in their lives and other people just sail on through? What have you noticed about that? Well, I think this is a very it's a very complicated question to answer, um, and it's each person responds to things relatively differently. So, uh, you know, I can I can answer it to the best of my ability, but for you know, why why some people optimists and some people pessimists? You know, why did some people go through adverse childhood experiences? and are fine, and some people go through adverse childhood experiences and aren't fine. I mean, these are huge therapeutic questions that would take, you know, decades to answer. Yeah, why I'm is sorry, it, it, it is no, a bit it's big. It's like, why do some people drink alcohol and don't become alcoholics, and some people drink alcohol and do become alcoholics? I don't have a direct answer for that for that question. But if you were to go inside and actually really think about what, part of it is what message am I telling myself about this? You know, am I a person that defaults to the negative or am I a person that defaults to the positive? And how might I change that? So again, it's about this narrative we tell ourselves. Having said that, though, sometimes we can be, as I was, utterly overwhelmed by something that you don't see coming around the corner. <laughs> and then you're not you anymore. And then you're and then you're then I think the way to deal with this is to be interested in that and also know that's okay. It's okay to not be you. That's all right. Be interested in the new you. You know, like your mother went off and did all this stuff. I mean, what might I do to get interested in this new version of me? Maybe I'm fine with being a bit quieter. Maybe I'm happy with being invisible. So it's trying to turn that into being really interested in the new version of yourself rather than sinking into a sense of melancholy and regret. But, I mean, we're human. You know, no one, you know, if you're living a life without a little bit of, you know, existential angst, 
You know, we all have a little bit of that. It's helpful. Yeah. It's important. That's where literature comes from, you know. <laughs> Going back to you, Lucy, just what did you do? How do you see your, you, when you think of yourself sitting there, not really feeling like you fit in on that on that beach, what have you done to kind of uh, find yourself again or to get to know this new you? Well, I kind of realised I never really fit. I, I kind of thought maybe I never really fitted in. And maybe that's fine. You know, I'm not, I am... Um, I think I'm pretty marmite, really. I mean, you know, people that like me really like me, and and some people really, really don't like me. So I've learned to become okay with that. Also, a bit like your mother, because I'm a bit more of an optimist. Actually, I tap back into the part of me which might be called childlike and naive, which is everything's going to be all right in the end. <laughs> you know, it was a bit childlike and naive because there wasn't any evidence for that. So then I had to go into the part of me, which is you are a talented person, you have skills, you have capacities, you're loved by the people around you, you know, you've got family and friends and your children. And now you have to go into the new part of your world, feeling positive about yourself. So on some level, actually, um, I, 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 okay, I did one really practical thing because I was thinking of something very practical. What do I like to do that I'm not doing? And I realised that I love dancing. I love, <laughs> love, love dancing. And I hadn't danced in years. So I found a local Zumba class and signed up for it. And it's great. I just, and I, so I thought, find the things you like to do and do more of them. I mean, it's a very simple adage. Do more of the stuff you like to do and do less of the stuff you don't like to do. Mm. Invest in the friendships that you feel are really worthwhile. Share how you're feeling. You know, if we, it's sometimes your friends will go, yeah, I feel that way too. You know, you're not alone in feeling this way. And know that this will pass, that you're emerging into the next part of your life. And that can be positive, fun, different. But, you know, people are going through some, you know, going through crisis is hard. It just is hard. You mentioned your podcast, Lucy, called Later Dater, and you do in that explore sex relationships and dating. So tell me your observations of dating in your 50s. Uh, How's that going? (laughs) Well, dating in your 50s is a bit of a riot, really. Um, in the podcast, I'm talking to people that do relationships in all sorts of different ways. So there's someone, there's uh, people that are polyamorous. That tends to be a little bit younger. Uh, people who, you know, swingers and, and same-sex couples and people with big age age differences. And um, one, one woman who was very religious and didn't believe in sex before marriage. And I've talked to all sorts of people about the way they do relationships. So dating your 50s, I'll tell you what's fun about dating your 50s is number one, you don't need to worry about, um, am I going to have children with this person? Because you're, you're all done and dusted on that front. And it is a complete fallacy that men in their 50s and 60s only want to go out with much younger women. This is not true. There are high quality people, men or women, depending which way, you know, I I happen to be heterosexual, but not everybody is. So there's high quality people out there who aren't, you know, who want to date people of their own age, who want to go out and have fun experiences, who don't, you know, necessarily want a bit of arm candy or they don't want to have another family. And actually, the joyous part of it is we've all lived a bit you know, we've all lived a bit. We've all had a few, you know, bits knocked off us. And there's a whole area we, we can connect around life and intentionality and what we're looking forward to and what we like to do. You know, where do you want to go? So I'm kind of an active person. I'm falling on the and side of life. 
So, you know, for me, it's not part, it wouldn't be for your mother either. You know, I'd be much more likely to snog a stranger in Mykonos than I would be to get someone's pipe and slippers. So, Mm. you know, know what you want in life, know who you are in that sense. What is it you want? And then you make that kind of clear. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm aiming at. I'm just going to read one paragraph from your comments. You you talk about, so what can we do about this? And we talk about that loss of sense of self and this changing self. And you say what seems vitally important is to find some deep acceptance of self and more importantly, to love our new emergent self, as you've mentioned earlier. And you quote Gabor Mate, the psychotherapist, author and trauma specialist, who's an amazing person. And he said that people who truly thrive in whatever shape or form are those who are able to adapt for those of us who find ourselves othered or feeling irrelevant, uh, all such harsh words, we could do well to embrace our mutability. We're not set in stone as people. So perhaps now is the time to go with the flow of where we seem to be going. And that might mean learning to love ourselves and who we are becoming, even if that feels alien to who we ourselves feel ourselves to be. I think that's at the, the heart of what you're saying, isn't it, Lucy? Yeah, absolutely. I think when COVID hit, the people that might, I don't, I'm not talking about health wise, but the people who managed to survive sort of psychotherapeutically and spiritually are people that are able to adapt. And adaptability is a hugely important thing. You know, because if we're very rigid, this is how I do life. It's going to, we're going to hit crisis when life changes. So COVID came and no one had any control over that. So the people that could survive it and came out intact, feeling okay about themselves, the world, society, are people that are adaptable. And actually, that's a wonderful thing to embrace. So it's it's getting to know who am I now and know that uh, shape-shifting is kind of really important. So we're mm. holding on to this sense of actually I am here and I'm going to have a good life and whatever. Maybe I'm quieter, maybe I'm louder. But the adaptability part so that we get to know ourselves exactly so that we're not alien not alien to ourselves. As you were speaking, my mother was waving her hand at me. So I must get uh, Anne Ingle back in here. But mum, what did you want to say about what Lucy said there? I'm just saying that it's so important, Lucy, the adaptability, because at every stage in your life, you you are different. There's no two ways about it. We we develop and we change. We change our ideas and our concepts. And very much in this age, we have to understand new things that we've never dreamt we'd ever have to think about. But the whole thing of adapting to that, the new way of life, but also the other thing is acceptance. I think that is really, really important. I mean, you know, there's some older people like myself who fight against being old. But when you really sit down and accept the fact that you're old, you can't do the things that you could last year that there's a great inner peace and happiness comes with that just accepting who you are in your body in your mind at this very moment and uh, it's a great relief and a great thing to to be able to do yeah I mean absolutely accepting isn't defeat you know there is a peace in learning how to accept who we are and what we're doing there's, there's really then, otherwise we're going to rail against the dying of the light, you know, and we and and that is a pointless waste of time. It's like worry. It's like people say, "I'm so worried about this." I'm like, "But where's the worry actually getting you? It's not really getting you anywhere. It's taking all your energy, and now you're getting ill because you're not sleeping." You know, there's no point in worrying. What if is two words we should just take out of our vocabulary? You know, so yes, we learn sh- should as well. Should words could yeah because shoulda woulda coulda yeah. I mean, what if what if I you know what if I'm like well I don't know you're not there yet. I mean, wait till you're there. No, you have the power to 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 accept it or do something about it. But I really hear that. I think the acceptance of the self is a really key piece. 
I accept mm. who I am. I embrace who I am. And I really like who I am. I'm a good person mm. on the planet. <laughs> you really have to get to that um, place. And as you're right, I mean, as we age, my mother is 90 and, you know, she's doing really, really well. But I can see there's a lot of acceptance going on there because she's 19. Your body doesn't do what you what, what it could do when you're 50. Yeah. And also speaking about adaptability, I also have to um, tell you, Lucy, that my mum during the pandemic at 82 wrote a memoir, which was published by Penguin, which is called Open Hearted, if you want to go and have a look I, for that. I do. Go on. You know, your mother is, uh, you know... I mean, I did, we just need you to, to tell everyone everything, actually, Alice. Really. <laughs> You're unstoppable. You're literally unstoppable. Open well, I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get her to do her next book, but she's uh, she's been a bit slow about that. So we'll see what happens. Maybe this will spur you on. Um, Lucy, just some final words for anyone listening who is feeling like a lot of the women that you described in uh, your article. This sort of it's 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 a transitional phase, I think, in a way. It's a more maybe positive way to, to look at it where you're kind of having to reassess. And you're. I think the word curiosity is really important as well. Who am I? What do I want? Where am I going next? It's almost like an audit, which sounds quite business-like, but no harm to do an audit. Tell me some final words for someone who's maybe at that point and, and wants to kind of rediscover themselves. Yeah, so I think what you've just said is great. So I think... Um, it's not necessarily rediscover, it's discover yourself as a person you haven't really known yourself to be. And that's exciting. I mean, part of me wants to say, or no, not part of me, all of me wants to say, isn't it exciting to think that you are now going to be a slightly different person to the person you've been for 56 years? Isn't that amazing? What a lovely thing to do to get to know yourself again in a slightly different way and how you walk through the world and how you are in life. So repositioning it as a journey of excitement and discovery. And, and no, you know, it's like if you've given birth, you know, transition is the most painful, painful, painful bit where you say, please kill me before you give birth <laughs> and you're in this new phase of life. It's the bit where you're really struggling, but out of that comes this birth, this rebirth of something new, something exciting, something potentially vibrant. So you need to know you get through it. You get through it and you get out the other side and you do this audit of who am I now and who do I want to be? Put on my purple hat, you know, wear my red dress. Who do I want to be in this next part of my life? And I think that's actually really exciting and just it's these things like you matter you know go out today whenever you're listening to it and smile at someone you know just smile at one person compliment one person turn up in life as the person you want to be because it's a great opportunity I've now turned into a ridiculously optimistic smiley person and the more I smile at people and say hey it's great to meet you or you look great wow the world comes back in this you know it's amazing <laughs> It's amazing. It's like it's like taking the blinkers off and walking through the world and, you know, it's a much happier place. I love that. Turn up in the world as the person you want to be. And sometimes it's a bit of faking it till you make it, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Because you, yeah. you don't always feel like that. No, it's like going to a party. Not that I ever go to any parties, but let's say some... <laughs> well, I don't actually because, you know, I've allowed myself to go, I actually don't really like parties that much. So I'll go to like two a year and that's it. Hooray! What a win! You know, no longer do I have to go and pretend I want to talk to people when I don't. And that's fine. Does that make me grumpy? I don't care. <laughs> that's fine. But as people say, what do you do or who are you? Tell them from the future, I'm someone who X, Y, Z. 
you know, you're just making me think of a friend who had a, a party in her house and she didn't invite me and I heard it was going on. But it was brilliant because, no, because she deliberately didn't invite me because she knew I wouldn't want to come. And we had such a laugh about it. And in the end, I turned up at the end when people were sort of dwindling, when there wasn't so many people there and I had a great time. Oh, but I always without... like the after party. I like, I like all the sort of stuff when you forensically dissect the party, but I don't necessarily want to actually be at the party. But, I like I the bit I... where you slump down and you go... Oh my goodness, what's going on with X and Y? I like that bit. I just think I'm the only person in the world who's actually not offended by not being asked, by being snubbed to a party because there was such thought and good wishes behind the the snubbing. (laughs) But isn't that a lovely way to translate it? Because it's actually true. So a lot of what we tell ourselves isn't true. So it's like, is it really true that I'm a faded, sort of washed up, remaindered person? Or is it more true that I have a lot to offer life? I have a lot to do. I have, you know... Go and volunteer. It's like, what do I want to do with this one life I have? And yeah. think about you're walking through the world as the future person, the person you want to be, the person you're growing into. We grow all the time. Hooray. Yeah. What do we want to do with our one wild and precious life? Lucy Cavendish, you might be Marmite, but we think you're great on the Women's <laughs> Podcast. <Thank you. laughs> um, we'll probably have you back on to talk about because there's many other things that you're very wise about. I can talk about literally about. anything. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. So can um, your mother. Your mother can talk about And so can true. you. You should get my mother on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant. Thank you so much for having okay. me. It's been a joy. Lucy, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and thank you so much for your words and uh, we'll definitely have you back on again. All the best, Lucy Cavendish. That was Lucy Cavendish there and my mother, Anne Ingle. And if you enjoyed this episode and the podcast, please leave us a review or subscribe to the podcast as it really makes a difference to us. The podcast is produced by Suzanne Brennan and by me, Roisin Ingle, with JJ Vernon on sound. Talk to us on social at IT Women's Podcast or email us thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. That's it for me. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.